0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. As it's Wednesday, just a reminder before we begin that you can join us this evening at 5.30 for catechesis uh, with Matt and Maureen, or you can, and I should say, uh, join us for divine service at 7 p.m. Today we'll recognize or celebrate The Feast of St. Mary, Mother of Our Lord, which uh, fell on Monday, August 15th, but uh, we'll be recognizing it today. And actually, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and Epistle this morning here for our catechesis. All right. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit All right, memory verse, let's see how we're going on this, see if you can do it without reading it there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. Let's try it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. Our psalm this week is Psalm 120. In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows, with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Old Testament for Feast of St. Mary, Mother of Our Lord, is from Isaiah 61. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to bring forth. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. You'll hear some of this, I believe, in the intro It, as well. Um, And maybe hence at the way, well, here's the Magnificat, right? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Right, But notice here, it's the song of, I would suggest, the church, right, um, describing herself as the bride who has been adorned with her jewels, right. That's what it means to be covered with the robe of righteousness. That is to be clothed in Christ. So, um, in one sense, Jesus is clothed in Mary, right, when he's in her womb. But, but after his death and resurrection, now she is clothed in him, right, through his righteousness. And of course, Mary being there the type or um, picture of the church. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Right. Um, one other note before we move along too far. Some would say that uh, recognizing Mary is a way of um, maybe being too Roman Catholic or something. Actually, in the Lutheran uh, sanctoral calendar, in our liturgical calendar, we actually have four days for St. Mary. <laughs> um, and that's, I think it's in keeping with the scriptures. Um, simply one because we remember those, uh, we remember others, of course. We'll have Saint Barnabas and um, you know Saint James and you know the rest. But um, also because of what the words of Elizabeth, right? Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. So she is rightly recognized by us uh, with special honor, being the mother of our Lord, or the mother of God, Theotokos. Uh, so again, four feast days, and I always struggle to remember them all. But I think I think we can find them. So we have uh, the Annunciation to Mary, right? We have the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple. Um, that's not quite a Feast of Mary, is it? Um, we have today, Mother Mother of our Lord, Annunciation, Presentation. And, um, then, then today is in the Roman calendar the Assumption, but we would say um, just the day for her. And I suppose we have also, sometimes the fourth Sunday in Advent, I know there's four, I've done the math sometime. Well, anyway, she's worthy of such honor and uh, remembrance for for the sake of uh, her testimony of faith. All right. And the role to which the uh, God had chosen to give her, vocationally. That reminds me of something I wanted to write down. (laughs) Okay. Had an idea this morning, but I didn't write it down. There we go. Now I came back. Uh, our epistle for this evening will be Galatians four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of the woman, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Okay. So here we're talking about um, in particular verse 6. I want to focus on that. And because you are sons, that is adopted through baptism, right? Verse 5. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out Abba, Father. So in in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, uh, large catechism, Luther uh, refers to this text in this way. Neither you nor I could ever know anything about Christ or believe on him and have him for our Lord unless it were offered to us and granted to our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. So there it is. The work of redemption is done and accomplished. Christ has acquired and gained the treasure for us through his suffering, death, and resurrection, and so on. But if the work remained concealed so that no one knew about it, then it would be useless and lost. So that this treasure might not stay buried but received and enjoyed, God has caused the word to go forth and be proclaimed. Right? So... Uh, sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So that uh, in this, or in the Word, he has the Holy Spirit bring this treasure home and make it your own. There it is. Adoption of sons, the inheritance of sons. Therefore, sanctifying is just bringing us to Christ so that we receive this good, which we could not get ourselves. It's also used in the formula of Concord on um, conversion. God works through through this means, that is, the preaching and hearing of his Word, He breaks our hearts and draws us to him. Through the preaching of the law, a person comes to know his sins and God's wrath. He experiences in his heart true terrors, contrition, and sorrow. Through the preaching of and reflection on the Holy Gospel, about the gracious forgiveness of sins in Christ, a spark of faith is kindled in him. This faith accepts the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake and comforts itself with the Gospel promise. So the Holy Spirit, who does all this, is sent into his heart. So I was thinking about this. One of the, uh, I suppose, accusations made against the Christian Church, in particular Lutheran Church, and and those of the uh, more conservative variety of Lutherans, is that that we preach uh, too much negativity, I guess is one way to say it. Uh, You might just say we preach the law too sternly, uh, or with too much profundity, or or even just uh, too much, right? Uh, This is a common accusation, but you notice exactly what the formula says there, that without... The preaching of the law, no, you would not. A person would not come to know his sins and God's wrath, and to experience in his and in his heart true terrors, contrition, and sorrow. Right. So God does that; He uh, afflicts the comfortable, as we say, right, and then He comforts the afflicted through the gospel. He kills and He makes alive is another way to say this. And I've been thinking about this in regards to uh, this coming Sunday's uh, preaching with the destruction of Jerusalem foretold. We've been reading about that yesterday. We will again tomorrow from Luke's Gospel, Sunday's from Matthew, that uh, it's one of these messages that people would rather not hear, that Jesus foretells um, the destruction of all that is contrary to him, finally, um, the world itself, right, on the, on the last day. and uh, But even there, just the, the tearing down of Jerusalem itself, the temple, and not st- one stone being left upon another. Um, Luther has a a long conversation about this in one of the more difficult stories, I suppose, of the Bible, which is um, the story of Sodom and the two angels coming to Sodom in the evening uh, while Lot was at the gate of Sodom. This is in Genesis 19. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself to the face of the earth. Um, Luther uh, remarks in his Genesis lectures that... Um, well, I'll just read it, but I think it's to the topic, and it's why... Um, St. Mary, for example, is, is the picture of faithfulness in the midst of tragedy and dif- and suffering and difficulty, being unmarried, um, being poor, um, and then being afflicted by Herod and being attacked um, probably throughout her whole life for the seeming in- illegitimacy of her son. Mm-hmm. And yet through that, God brings about um, humility in her so that she trusts in his word. Right? You heard that with the Magnificat this evening. But we must be brought to humility, and he does that through the preaching of the law. Luther writes, This chapter, Genesis 19, contains a description of that punishment for sins, which has been mentioned in the previous chapter, namely that the outcry against Sodom had came up to heaven. Now, I do not want to discuss this awful account with pleasure any more than I did the account of the flood. For it is something awful to feel and experience the wrath of God raging almost beyond measure against the wretched human race. Therefore, I am profoundly affected Whenever I either read about or discuss these events, even though I am a human being who is prone to anger, I am nevertheless deeply moved by the extraordinary disaster. I am aware of the trial which Abraham underwent when, through his intercession, he tried with all his power to turn away such great wrath from independent sinners. The antinomians, those are um, the the against-the-law people, those modern prophets, maintain that people must be dealt with gently and must not be frightened by examples of God's wrath. Right? This is what we are just talking about. Um, how dare you uh, accuse me of my sin, of pointing out my rebellion against God's word, right? Um, God loves me just the way I am. You ever heard that language? That's called antinomianism. But Paul states the opposite in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. He says there that Scripture is also profitable for reproof and cor- and correction, that the man of God may be made complete, equipped for every good work. Well-known is also the command about rightly dividing the word of God. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, after diverse evidences of God's wrath against sinners, he states plainly that those things were written for our sakes, lest we sin through lust and conformity with their example. Therefore, the examples of the wrath of God, such as the one before us, must be dealt with in such a manner that they serve for our instruction and learning. We actually heard this on Sunday, right? These things were written for our instruction, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. I'm talking about, um, well, Sodom was mentioned there, actually, right? Um, sexual immorality and what was it Uh, 26,000 died in a day or 32,000 or whatever it was Uh, so you heard that on Sunday thus okay so for our instruction and learning thus the Lord commands Abraham who is a far saint far saintlier than we are to relate these events to his children for you will always find two kinds of human beings one of these is haughty and obstinate despises the word and godly admonitions and is smug beyond measure If you treat these people gently and proclaim the mercy of God to them, you will make them worse. This, of course, is the fruit which the error of the antinomians produces. But I warn you to be on guard against them, for they are not satisfied that they themselves perish. But they want to drag us, too, to the destruction with them and burden us with their sins, since they, like the people of Sodom, do not want them checked. But God has put the ministry of the word into this world, not that the ministers should be silent, but that they should reprove, teach, correct, our comfort, terrify, and in this manner, save whomever they can. The antinomians do away with the, this ministry entirely when they refuse to tolerate reproofs and order us to acquiesce, acquiesce to the, in their sins, contrary to the statement of Paul, who in Romans 2, verse 1, condemns not only those who commit sins, but those who acquiesce in them. But those who do not reprove sins acquiesce in them. That is what I should or would be doing if I were to conceal sins, blasphemies, and tyrannies of the cardinals, the pope, and the bishops. But the Lord says in the book of the prophet, Ezekiel 3.19, You will deliver your soul if you reprove the sins of your people. Even the most wicked human beings must be born with compassion, but when they want to snatch us with them to destruction, compassion must cease. Neither the authority of parents nor the love of our children must mean so much to us that we are willing to perish with them. Then all compassion must be forgotten in accordance with the example of Lot, who abandons his wife when, contrary to the Lord's command, she looks back while she is on the way. Because such people have become hardened and accept no admonition, they must be abandoned. Now this is a hard word to hear, isn't it? But toward those who are not so obstinate but can be guided, God wants to show compassion, as the parable of the lost sheep teaches. For they are not impenitent sodomites for whom God's rock-crushing hammer is appropriate. From these, the judgment of the Lord should not be concealed. Otherwise, it will happen that we pollute ourselves with all their sins by acquiescing to them. All Christians have been placed into the world for the purpose of serving their neighbors. Not only so far as the table, second table is concerned of the Ten Commands, but rather so far as the first table is concerned, right? So, namely, the word of God, the name of God, um, and having no other gods. In order that they all may learn to fear God and trust in his mercy, all right? Um, so this is really important. Uh, and you'll hear this in Mary's Magnificat. He humbles the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He exalts the lowly. Right? So you have that kind of uh, reversal. So Luther continues, These two kinds of hearers must be properly distinguished, and everyone should hear the words that are intended for him. The obstinate, the awful examples of God's wrath. But the fearful, the sweet words of comfort. For Christ is set for the rising of some and for the fall of others. Those who have h- been humbled must, therefore, be buoyed up. On the other hand, those who have, been, who have exalted themselves in their smugness must be crushed, as St. Mary teaches us in her song, Luke 1, verse 52. There you go. This is the right division, for the fearful are unavoidably mingled with the smug. Therefore, this moderation is needed in order that those who are obdurate may know that these awful examples are aimed at them. Right? The example of Sodom is for for the Sodomite. Right? But those who have been been frightened should apply the words of comfort and promise to themselves. All right, and then uh, the Spirit leads to confession. All right, so one more bit. And um, this is why I read awful accounts of this kind, that of Sodom. Right, and we should read them to children too, by the way. Hmm. Yet I read them reluctantly because I am frightened by the greatness of God's wrath. Still, I see that this doctrine is useful not only to frighten the proud, but also to keep the godly in the fear of God. Lest they sin and perish in accordance with the example of the ungodly. Furthermore, in these examples, the wrath of God is presented in such a way that at the same time the goodness of God, who mercifully preserves the faithful, still shines forth. Thus Christ says in Isaiah 61 quote, uh, The Spirit of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Behold, the poor, the brokenhearted, the prisoners, the confined, and the mourning are promised pardon, freedom, and a year or a time when God has been placated. Therefore, those who are not poor and brokenhearted to them, the day of vengeance, that is, the wrath of God, is proclaimed. Therefore, if Christ teaches in such a way that he connects the doctrine of wrath with mercy, why should we not follow him? All right, pretty powerful stuff, right? right. Again, without the preaching of the law, there can be no preaching of the gospel. Without terror um, and f- of our sin and fear of God's wrath, um, there will be no confession, there will be no repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What need of a Savior do you have if you have no sins? Right. <clears throat> and I know Christians would say, well, we need to speak more graciously and kind to people um, who are caught up in their sins. No. <laughs> um, interesting uh, note that in the Supreme Court... Um, all the various lawgivers are up on the, uh, around, I think, the Rotunda or whatever it's called, um, including some relatively recent ones. Uh, two who who did refused to sign the um, Declaration of Independence, or excuse me, sign the Constitution. Um, that would be, uh, oh, I just forgot their names. Um, but the chief of them, the only one who's actually looking at you, everyone else is looking at him, the one who's looking at you is Moses. All right, Moses, the lawgiver. And uh, so there in the court of law, um, you know, Moses' face is shining upon you, namely um, the Ten Commands, right? In, in a very precise way. Why? For, not for mercy, but for uh, repentance, right? That we confess before the judge. Alright. Um, so think about that a little bit with Mary. I mean, because Mary confesses this, um, that she doesn't deserve the God, God's favor, that she is a poor, miserable sinner, as we confess, and yet God has shown mercy on her, not because of herself, but because of um, his um, gracious and loving kindness, right? And that's how it is for all of us, that we can claim nothing as coming from ourselves, but can only claim everything as coming from Christ. So there he is, adoption of sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son into your hearts. All right, let's confess, um, actually, what we believe about confession, right? What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution, That is, forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. What sins should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we're not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by their wor- your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? We pray. Merciful Father, you promise us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I come before you for confession and absolution, teach me to consider my place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Work in me true contrition and repentance. Give me a desire to live a new life. Help me to know and confess my sin truthfully. As I receive my Savior's forgiveness, comfort my conscience, renew my life, strengthen my faith in him, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. All this I ask for the sake of my dear Lord Jesus Christ, who died for me and shed his blood for me upon the cross, for the forgiveness of all my sins. Amen. All right, let's sing.
1: why contain the bomb that makes me whole to whom save thee who canst alone for sin atone Lord shall I flee cross not mine O Christ has borne the crushing load of sin Death not mine O cries has paid the ransom to ten thousand deaths like mine would have. Been Righteousness O Christ alone can cover me. Your no righteousness avails, save that which is high.
0: This is a lovely hymn isn't it all right today we do have a commemoration I believe uh, I know that we're recognizing Saint Mary mother of our Lord uh, which actually fell on Monday so today well let's have a collect for Saint Mary as well and also recognize today Johann Gerhardt theologian all right so a few prayers here but before that Johann Gerhardt 1582 to 15 or 1637 was a great Lutheran theologian in the tradition of Martin Luther and Martin Chemnitz, and the most influential of the 17th century dogmaticians. Those are the people who organized the Confession of Faith. His monumental, Loci Theologicae, 23 large volumes, and I have, I don't know how many of them that's been translated into English, um, is still considered by many to be the definitive statement of Lutheran orthodoxy. Gerhardt was born in Quedlinburg, Germany. At the age of 15, he was stricken with a life-giving, or life-threatening illness. This experience, along with the guidance from his pastor, Johann Arndt, marked a turning point in his life. He devoted the rest of his life to theology, became a professor at the University of Vienna, and served many years as the superintendent of Heldberg. Gerhardt was a man of deep evangelical piety and love for Jesus. He wrote numerous books on exegesis, theology, devotional literature, history, and polemics. His sermons Continue to be widely published and read. Ah, yeah, I, I have the postila of, of Gerhardt up there. Um, I use often use that for meditation. Yeah Gerhardt. Uh, Johan. I'll type it in the chat there for you. Hard. Ah, excuse me. I got it wrong, too. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, also, uh, well, we'll just pray, pray in remembrance of St. Mary this evening. Okay. Our collect for the week, we pray together. Oh, no, we haven't prayed Gerhardt. Let us pray. There we go. Most high God, we owe you great things that in the mystery of the Holy Supper you feed us with the body and blood of your Son. May we approach this heavenly meal with true faith, firmly convinced that the body we eat is the one given unto death for us and that the blood we drink is the blood shed for our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants that they may obtain their petitions. Make them to ask such things as shall please you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children, live in ordered harmony according to the Word of God, for parents who must uh, rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Uh, let's see, we pray Thanksgiving with Rachel, celebrates her birthday. Uh, we pray in celebration of a wedding anniversary. I'm trying to think who it was that I wanted to pray for. Uh, I lost it. Well, uh, one that we didn't have in our computer system. That was yesterday. I'll think of it. Nope, it's not coming to me. Okay. Um, let us also, I said a prayer yesterday for them. Pray for our households Roger and Sherry, Matt and Vicki, Catherine, Doug, Stephen and Morgan, Rachel. Continue to pray in Thanksgiving with Tim and with Mrs. Polster at her commissioning. Pray for our catechumens. Matt and Maureen, that their studies be fruitful. We pray for those ill, receiving treatment, or recovering. Excuse me, this evening or this day for Marcella, Joe, Pastor Coda, Kelsey, Dan, Brad, Ron, Taylor, Lenore, and Pat. Pray for our homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, Paul, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially that of the gathering place at St. Paul Falls. We pray in intercession for the denial of self. We pray for those grieving, especially the family and friends of Marcia. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. It's been a joy to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer on God's Word. I come to you each day at uh, about this time. If uh, this has been a blessing to you, a benefit to you, uh, remind you that uh, we really appreciate um, any, any sort of gifts that you might like to give. You can see the link down below and um, regular reoccurring gifts. That would be the best, I suppose, since uh, this is a regularly reoccurring uh, offering for you, right? Um, So, I'll leave that to your heart. And let's see, again, tonight, 5.30, we have catechesis. 7 o'clock, we've got divine service. St. Mary, Mother of Our Lord, which we'll celebrate this evening. All right, so God be with you all. Keep you safe, and we'll see you again soon.